This podcast is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free online resource for health professionals' education. Visit openpediatrics.org for more. Acute Decompensated Heart Failure by Dr. Elizabeth Profita. Hi there, I'm Dr. Elizabeth Profita. Today's talk will start with an overview of heart failure, including understanding the causes of heart failure and reviewing the symptoms and signs of heart failure. We will then learn how to assess a patient with heart failure by learning how to assess both their cardiac output and volume status. We will review concerning findings in heart failure that constitute red flags, and we'll finish with a few patient cases to review the things we've discussed today. Heart Failure Overview Heart failure is caused either by myocardial dysfunction or normal myocardial function with abnormal workload. With myocardial dysfunction, the heart is structurally normal, but the muscle itself isn't able to do a normal amount of work. This decreased ventricular function leads to decreased cardiac output and heart failure. Causes of myocardial dysfunction include cardiomyopathies, myocarditis, arrhythmias, drug exposure such as anthracycline and chemotherapy, and metabolic disorders. Heart failure can also result from increased volume or pressure with normal myocardial function. Examples of volume overload include left-to-right shunting lesions, such as a VSD, PDA, or complete AV canal defect, or valve regurgitation lesions. Volume overload increases the amount of work the heart has to do and leads to heart failure over time. Examples of pressure overload lesions include both right-sided lesions such as pulmonary stenosis or pulmonary hypertension, or left-sided lesions such as aortic stenosis or coarctation. In both cases, outflow tract obstruction limits outflow and thus cardiac output, causing heart failure. Symptoms of heart failure can vary significantly with age. Infants may present with increased work of breathing, sweating with feeds, irritability, or poor growth. Young children may present with abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, decreased appetite, or chronic cough. And older children may present with exercise intolerance, anorexia, dyspnea, palpitations, chest pain, or syncope. Findings to look for on exam include jugular venous distension, respiratory signs such as respiratory distress, tachypnea, or crackles, cardiac signs such as tachycardia and S3 gallop, decreased pulses and perfusion, hepatomegaly, and peripheral edema. Assessment. We will now discuss how to assess a patient with heart failure. When initially evaluating a patient with heart failure, it is helpful to think of them in the context of these four hemodynamic profiles. Along the left side, we have cardiac output from hypoperfusion to adequate perfusion, and along the top, we have volume status from dry to congested or wet. Using these two axes, this allows us to define four hemodynamic profiles. In the northwest quadrant, we have warm and dry, which is the ideal status for our patients. They have good perfusion and no evidence of volume overload. In the southwest quadrant, we have cold and dry, which is the profile of patients with low cardiac output. Patients have cold extremities, hypotension, renal dysfunction, altered mental status, or hyponatremia. In the northeast quadrant, we have warm and wet, which is the profile of patients with volume overload. Patients have an S3 gallop, peripheral edema, pulmonary edema, and an elevated jugular venous pressure. In the southeast quadrant is cold and wet, which is a less common patient profile and corresponds with decompensated heart failure and shock, and thus will be uncommon for patients in clinical settings outside of the cardiac intensive care unit. 
Every day, it is important to review the following items to be able to appropriately assess the patient and determine their hemodynamic profile. Vital signs and vital trends should be reviewed along with central venous pressure measurements if available, ins and outs, and daily weights. Telemetry should be reviewed for patients with any concern for arrhythmia. When seeing the patient, a complete physical exam should be done, assessing for volume status and cardiac output. Labs and lab trends should be reviewed, including electrolytes, renal function, mixed venous oxygen saturation, and BNP. Pertinent recent testing should also be reviewed, including chest x-rays, echoes, and cardiac catheterizations. In patients with heart failure, we often trend the mixed venous oxygen saturation as a surrogate for assessing cardiac output. We measure the mixed venous oxygen saturation in the SVC or right atrium, typically using a PICC line. The cardiac index is your cardiac output divided by your body's surface area and is the preferred unit for discussing cardiac output in pediatric patients. We use the FIC principle to estimate your cardiac index by using your mixed venous oxygen and arterial oxygen saturations if we assume a VO2 max and, he and we know your hemoglobin concentration. Cardiac index is then proportional to your arterial to venous oxygen difference. If you assume a normal arterial oxygen saturation of 100% and the mixed venous oxygen saturation of 70%, this would give you a normal AVO2 difference of around 30%. In patients with a lower arterial oxygen saturation, as in the case of single ventricle anatomy, the mixed venous oxygen saturation will be lower, but the AVO2 difference should be similar. If your cardiac output is decreased, mixed venous oxygen saturation will decrease and your AVO2 difference will increase. In patients who have decreased cardiac output or who are cold, they will present with symptoms of abdominal pain, nausea, fatigue, fussiness, or pale or gray color. Vital sign review may demonstrate increased heart rates or decreased blood pressures. Exam may show tachycardia, decreased pulses, delayed capillary refill, cool extremities, and in severe cases, altered mental status. Labs may demonstrate a decrease in mixed venous oxygen level, decreased sodium level, increased creatinine, elevated lactate, and an elevated BNP. Echo may demonstrate a decreased systolic function with a decreased ventricular ejection fraction. In patients who have volume overload, they will pre present with symptoms of increased work of breathing and respiratory distress. Review of vital signs may show increased respiratory rate, weight gain, and a positive fluid balance. Exam may show an S3 gallop or an S4 gallop, tachypnea, crackles, hepatomegaly, peripheral edema, or jugular venous distension. Labs may show an increased central venous pressure, elevated BNP, and a low or normal BUN to creatinine ratio, and a chest x-ray may demonstrate pulmonary edema. Now we're going to talk about some red flags in heart failure. End-stage heart failure patients are at high risk for decompensation and cardiac arrest. 
Arrhythmia is also poorly tolerated in patients who already have ventricular dysfunctions. Red flags for heart failure patients include new symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, or fussiness, significant changes in their vital signs, including tachycardia or tachypnea, exam changes, including feeling cold or uh, with decreased perfusion or blue coloring, and any arrhythmia, including unexplained sinus tachycardia. The first step when you notice a red flag is to see and assess the patient. Cardiac patients can rapidly deteriorate and it is very important to assess the patient at the bedside. You may start by reviewing their vital sign trends and any recent labs, including blood gases, lactates, chemistry, or mixed venous oxygen saturations. If they have respiratory symptoms, a chest x-ray may be appropriate. And if you have any concerns, it is always appropriate to alert the cardiology fellow in attending and consider discussing with the cardiac intensive care unit if there's an anticipation of need for escalation of care. Case studies. Now we'll discuss some patient cases to test what we've learned today. Case one, you receive a page from a nurse. Your patient seems to be having trouble breathing. Your patient is a 10-year-old female with dilated cardiomyopathy who was admitted with a heart failure exacerbation. She's been NPO all day for a PICC line placement and just returned to the floor from interventional radiology. On the phone, you ask the nurse to tell you more about the breathing. When did it start? What does it seem like? You ask what the current fluid and diuretic plan is. While you're waiting to see the patient, you review the vital sign with the respiratory rate trend, the heart rate trend, and oxygen saturations. You review her ins and outs and her medication list, including diuretic doses and times. When you see the patient, you assess her respiratory exam, her cardiac exam, and her volume status. You order labs uh, with a chemistry, and you transduce a central venous pressure. You obtain a chest X-ray to assess for pulmonary edema. And if she's desaturated, you could consider using a nasal cannula of oxygen. If you have concern that she appears volume overloaded, you could consider a dose of diuretics. In this case, the patient had been NPO for the procedure today and had been kept on full-maintenance IV fluids throughout the day. She missed her afternoon dose of diuretics while at the procedure. She had increased tachypnea from her baseline after the procedure. Her PICC line was transduced for a central venous pressure and was found to be elevated at 13 millimeters of mercury. A chest x-ray was obtained with increased pulmonary edema. She was given an IV dose of diuretics with improvement in her symptoms. Case 2. You receive a page from your nurse. Your patient doesn't look great. He is pale and has been vomiting. Your patient is a 14-year-old male with dilated cardiomyopathy who is currently listed for heart transplant, and he was admitted with worsening heart failure symptoms for milrinone initiation. A PICC line was placed, and milrinone was started five days ago. On the phone, you ask your nurse, when did he last appear well? Does he have other symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, or belly pain? And remind me what he's currently on for support. While you're waiting to see the patient, you review his vital signs, including his heart rate trend, his blood pressures, and his oxygen levels, such as his oxygen saturation or mixed venous oxygen saturations, his ins and outs and his urine output, and his recent labs, including his mixed venous oxygen level, a lactate, and a hematocrit. In the room, you assess his cardiac exam, including pulses, capillary refill, extremity, temperature, and his neurologic status. 
You order labs with a chemistry, a blood gas, a mixed venous, and a lactate, and in conversation with your cardiac fellow, you consider an echo. If he appears to have poor cardiac output, you could consider increasing afterload reduction or adding inotropes. Or if he's anemic, consider transfusion of red blood cells. If he appears to have low volume status, you could consider a slow fluid bolus. And if you're worried he may get sicker, you might consider transfer to the cardiac intensive care unit. In this case, his exam showed that his pulses were weaker and his perfusion was worse than you remembered. His heart rate was up 10 to 20 beats from his baseline heart rate. His milrinone dose had been weaned earlier in the morning from 0.75 to 0.5. His mixed venous oxygen saturation prior to the wean was 70%. A repeat mixed venous was sent and it was now 55%. The transplant attending was called, his milrinone dose was increased back to 0.75, and the CICU attending was alerted to the patient case. Case 3. You get a page from your nurse. Your patient's heart rate seems irregular, and the telemetry keeps alarming. Your patient is a 2-year-old female with hypoplastic left heart syndrome who is status post-Glenn surgery and currently listed for heart transplant due to ventricular dysfunction. She was admitted with a heart failure exacerbation for IV diuresis. When you talk to the nurse on the phone, you ask, how is the patient feeling or appearing? Was there any change in her clinical status, or is it just a change in telemetry that was noted? Before you see the patient, you review her telemetry and her vital sign trends, including her heart rate and blood pressures, and any recent labs such as chemistry for electrolytes. In the room, you assess her cardiac exam and her perfusion. You order labs with a chemistry and obtain a 12-lead ECG. If her electrolytes are abnormal, you could consider repleting her potassium and magnesium with a goal of keeping her potassium level above 4 and magnesium level above 2. If she's having a significant arrhythmia, medical therapy may be warranted, and if she's in an unstable rhythm, she may require transfer to the cardiac intensive care unit. In this case, the patient had been receiving high-dose IV diuretics. Review of her telemetry showed frequent PVCs with a few couplets. There was no runs of ventricular tachycardia. The patient was well-appearing otherwise with good perfusion. Her electrolytes were checked. A potassium was found to be 2.9 and repletion was given with subsequent improvement in PVCs. Summary In summary, heart failure can result from myocardial dysfunction or normal myocardial function with increased work, such as increased pressure or volume. Symptoms of heart failure can vary significantly with age. Assessment of cardiac output, warm or cold, and volume status, wet or dry, is essential to determine management of heart failure. Daily weights, vital sign trends, ins and outs, clinical exam, and lab testing can be helpful with management. Heart failure patients can deteriorate quickly, Red flags include any significant change in vital signs, heart rhythm, or clinical exam. Review of vital signs, ins and outs, medications, and labs can be helpful in, term in determining the etiology of the decompensation. And always remember to ask for help early. Thanks so much. This has been a production of Open Pediatrics. To hear more podcasts like this one, visit openpediatrics.org.